Um, wow, um, was talking to the Lord there and uh, now uncertain what to do. Uh, so Pastor Jeremy, get ready to move on the fly. Um, I'm sensing consecration in God's people. I'm sensing um, holy consecration in God's people. And um, I wouldn't want to miss something that God wants. Uh, so um, keep having that conversation with God and asking what God is calling you to this morning. And uh, maybe we'll figure it out as we go. Um, I know one thing for certain. that I want two young men to come up here and join me. John Claremont and, and Ethan. Will you come up? Thank you. I just want to pray right now. Let me just pray again here. Give me a second. Oh, we need a microphone. Uh, John, John, grab uh, a mic. Our Father in heaven, we um, again consecrate ourselves to you. What words come out of our mouths, um, what word we receive from you, sensing, Father, that um, more of that oil of blessing is being poured out right now today. That maybe there are some that even from last week or weeks previous, that whole glorious month of December that we had, and looking at the Savior who came as a child, perfect humanity and, and perfect God all in one, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, maybe, maybe our church is ready for something, and our church is ready for a work of your Spirit here even this morning. So, uh, Father, I just want to stay out of the way. Don't want to get in the way of your work. So, Father, have your people praying, have your elders praying, deacons praying, leaders of the church praying right now, all throughout the room, inviting God's work here. Lord, give us the courage to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is my friend John. Uh, John and I have known each other for about two years, haven't we, John? Yeah, John joined a men's group with me and some other fellows that, that are out here in the room, too. And um, we did a lot of studying of Ephesians, and then we started uh, talking about um, our own lives, and we all shared our stories. And that's one of the things that, that you do in a community life group, whether you're in a men's group or women's group or in a mixed group, is you're challenged to share some of your story. And we got really vulnerable with each other. And... And John knows some of my less than secret sins, but uh, less than popular ones too, because he's my brother, and we've shared, and I know some of his too. So, uh, um, and so what we do is we love each other, and we remind each other of that uh, that we don't condemn one each other. We remind each other that we're all saved by the same grace, and we're living by the same power in God's Holy Spirit. And we encourage each other and. And so um, John's just been a great encouragement. And John has gone to Pastor Cameron and said, hey, look, I'm feeling called to um, a help and assist in student ministry. I noticed a teaching ability in John very early. And I think that God is harvesting that. And the Holy Spirit is harvesting that gift in him. And so I challenged him. And John, John heard that call. And he's going to help out student ministry in 2019. That's just awesome. And... Um, he joined the church, and, um, and it's great to see a young man like John um, uh, not, not sitting in a pew, just sitting in a pew, but saying, I am the church, and I'm going to be the church with you. I'm going to serve, and uh, it's awesome. And uh, this is Ethan right here. Ethan and I met on Missions Sunday. Remember that? A guy named Chuck Walton was here talking about how he'd given his life away to God, and I said, Ethan, man, it seems like you, you need to talk. And so we went and we talked. We visited. We became friends. And uh, Ethan is such a good friend. He's already changed out one of my toilets in my house. That's how good of a friend, <laughs> friend he is. Um, he's, he's skilled in multiple ways. Um, and he's also skilled as a cross-country runner and coach and other things. But what I wanted, um, I hope, is what God wanted, and that was for us to really become heart to heart too. God, the Lord is doing something. 
will trust the Lord. And uh, so I'm hoping we're friends, right? Can I say we're friends? We are. And brothers. And uh, so we've only known each other. When you reminded me of that, we've only known each other for literally less than three months. And yet um, he came to my house after he fixed my toilet. We figured we had to feed him, right? And, um, and so we fed him and we had devotions at the table. And I think even there at that table, I sensed God was doing something. Something big was growing in Ethan's heart. And uh, John, will you loan that microphone to him and let him share? Ethan, tell the church. Yeah, so um, I've been here for almost three months, and um, I've been going through a lot of changes in my life in the past past half, half a year, maybe. Um, so I graduated last year, and throughout the summer, I was, I was in a relationship with somebody, and um, when she left for school, thing, things didn't go as planned, so uh, we ended, that ended up ending. And as silly as it seems, when that happened, I kind of, um, it, it, I lost who I was. And I had realized that in that relationship, I wasn't uh, who I was meant to be or who I used to be before then. So I was struggling a lot with that. And um, so I knew that I needed help, and things were starting to get better. And then a few months ago, we ended up um, leaving our stepdad, and our relationship with him was not the best. Um, and so when that happened, it brought up a lot of issues in the past that hadn't really been addressed before, maybe. And so then I was in this, I was back to square one. I was kind of struggling with who I was, and, um, you know, I needed, I knew I needed help, and so um, one thing I turned to in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, it says, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know, and so I called out to God, and what he led me here uh, like Pastor Clint said, I coach cross-country for Creekside. And um, I had remembered um, that a lot of the athletes that I was coaching actually came to First Baptist. So um, that's how I ended up here. And I came the first day, and Pastor Clint made sure I had a spot to sit. And then the next week after that, I um, joined the young adults class with John and um, made a lot of new friends there. And... So far, this church has just been so welcoming to me, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, and I've, I've been able to kind of figure out how I'm supposed to, to live my life to honor God. Um, I met with Pastor Clint last week, and we took a look at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and that says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so that's, that's why I'm here right now, is because that's how I want to live my life. So I've chosen to have faith in God so that his grace may save me. And I look forward to continuing that with my new church family and meeting all of you and getting to know all of you. I, I don't know a lot of you and a lot of you don't know me yet, but... I look forward to that, so. I think they Thank can you. maybe identify you now, though, as we, yeah. as we used to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I just want to remind you that in 2019, one of our goals is to share stories of transformation. And you can be that next story if you would be so bold. I want you to understand that, first of all, this was not my doing. Um, Ethan came to me. Um, I think God had so moved in his heart and, that um, the Holy Spirit was drawing him. He called me two Sundays ago, and uh, well, which is just eight days ago, um, and said, I got, I got to meet with you. And uh, so we did, and he said, I want to dedicate my life to Jesus Christ. And you know your pastor, right? I explored that thoroughly with him. And so, Ethan, you understand that that saving grace is through Jesus, right? You understand 
that he came to earth and your sins nailed him to that cross. Our sins, John's sins, our sins nailed him to that cross, but your sins nailed him to that cross. But it's also through that cross that Jesus has set you free from all sin, right? And so Ethan is a great testimony in the sense that, that you were raised well by your mom and your dad. Um, you were raised to know God. You were raised in, in a church and in a very religious community. But still, you have to respond personally to God. You have to respond personally. And so Ethan and I had this conversation from John chapter 3. Remember that? Just trying to trust the Lord here and, and walk through this. But John chapter 3, where Nicodemus walks up to Jesus and he says, Hey, no one, no one can. No one can. Um, I mean, excuse me. You must come from God because no one can say the things that you say unless he comes from God. And Jesus just takes it from this little lower level of, of, you know, you're sent from God to, no, I am God. He says this. He says, listen, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, remember that? You'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And so we talked about what it means to be born again. And Jesus explained that pretty well. He says, you don't see wind, but you can feel the wind. You know that it blows. And he was talking about being born again um, not of water and blood, but of the Spirit. And so what you have in front of you is a person who fully recognizes now what it means to be born again. And so, Ethan, I just want to tell you, as your friend, as your brother, but also before these witnesses, that you being born again means that you have a new life. You have the life that God has always wanted for you. And we celebrate that with Ethan this morning, do we not? Yes. And we wouldn't miss this opportunity, would we? You listening on the podcast, you, you, you sitting right there in the pew. Is, is it your turn? Come on, has the Holy Spirit of God been speaking to you and drawing you to God the Father? And you say, well, wait a second, I accepted Jesus when I was eight or when I was ten. You know, check box checked and why do you feel the spirit drawing you right now why do you sense that you're being called again to God and consecration to him if this young 18 year old man can stand up in front of you and boldly proclaim his faith to you surely surely you can respond to God speaking to you right now all right Surely there's someone here that is ready to just give your whole life back over to God again. I'll do it. John, will you do it right now? Give our lives back to Jesus? Will you do it? Let's pray. Come on, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we now seek to honor you and glorify you in our hearts. And just give our lives back to you. We've taken so much back from you, Heavenly Father. In our own love of sin rather than love of holiness. We've taken back from you in our fear and we've become survivors and we've taken a fortress mentality and guarded ourselves from the world when really you want to send us into this world. God, we haven't been in your word. We haven't been prayerful. We've been answering our problems with our own faithless solutions. And Father, we repent here in this room. We're sorry for our faithlessness and the way we've departed from truth in our lives. And Father, we would ask that your Holy Spirit now, as he just works in every individual heart here, that you would bring to the surface all truth. It would be sincerity of heart and journeying toward repentance and then welcoming again the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't understand that it was his blood that washes you clean from all of your sins, that, that God figured out a way to pay the price of your own sin so you never have to face the wrath of God. Receive Jesus now. And if you have, and you know Christ is your Savior, but your eyes are dry and your faith is old and your prayers are cold, be warmed now by the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I do. God, I will. 
God, I want you. I traveled this week, and I'd love to be praying for you. Anyone in the room now that just you prayed that prayer, you said that, just raise your hand up to heaven and just let me know. I just want to pray for you and identify you. Thank you. Thank you. You're always one of the first. God bless you. God bless you back there. I see it. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Thank you, brother. I see you. I see you. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You're going to read the scripture for us this morning, right? We're in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. Ethan's going to take us to verse 21, and John is going to take us then to verse 32. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them onto beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate, the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came to them and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set, before the, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is God's word. Amen, church. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you for being so bold. You just put it wherever you found it. Thank you. All right. Wow, what a morning. What a morning. So, um, you've heard me many times say, I want to live supernaturally. And there are a lot of supernatural occurrences in these verses. And so I want to kind of clarify that. Maybe some... Uh, when I, they hear me say, I want to live supernaturally, they think I want to fly like Superman. That's not what I want to do. Um, or they think I want to have like a miraculous gift, like the gift of healings. And if I did want that, and if I did have that, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be at DeVos Children's Hospital right now. So that's not really it either. It's not that I'm telling God of, about anything that I want. What I'm saying is, God, I want to obey you to you. I want to experience your accompanying power that gets your job done, because that's what's happening in this passage of the book of Acts. Now, we have journeyed for months through these first five chapters of the book of Acts, and our theme verse has always been Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, greater Judea, 
Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there is an expansion that occurs here. And you're going to see a couple of those expansions as we examine the text here this morning. But the point being is this, is Jesus declared what his will would be before you saw any of these events. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, not I'm hoping you will be, or I'm suggesting that you be my witnesses, and then uh, if, you, if you fail, I'll come back and I'll recruit more. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, because Jesus knew for those who would surrender to God and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit leading the early church, that they would accomplish everything that it pleases God for them to do. For those who are willing to surrender to Jesus Christ as their Lord, there will, will always be people who meet Jesus Christ the Lord through those people. Why? Because God doesn't need us, but God chooses us, and he accomplishes his work through us as he empowers us. Paul said it this way to the church at Colossae. He says in verse 28 of chapter 1, we proclaim him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That verse points to his dependency upon divine power. It's God working through Paul that accomplishes his mission. Are you a person that wants to be used by God? In 2019, will you be a one-heart-at-a-time person that just starts with God, use me? And then expands that prayer to, to God, send me. Put me in front of people that don't know Jesus. Send me the people to people that need to be called back to Jesus. Send me to people that need to experience the love of Jesus. Use me to accomplish your will and your program of salvation on this earth. And so... Paul is expressing dependency in that verse. It's his energy that works so powerfully through me. Dependency. Paul says later to Timothy as he encourages him in, in 2 Timothy, he says, this is why I suffer as I do, verse 12, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. There is a soul convincing that has occurred. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what, he, what has been entrusted to me. Now, first Paul spoke about his dependency to the church of Colossae. Here Paul is saying, I am so persuaded, I am convinced, I believe that God will do what he said he will do through me. You want to be used by God? Do you believe God will use you? And so, as we examine this morning, this section of, of Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 32, be reminded of this key verse right here that appears in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. It's the crux of this whole section of 12 all the way through 42 that we'll look at, at next Sunday. But this is the key verse. We must obey God rather than men. Yes, it is that simple. Since God is a trustworthy, unstoppable, invisible God whose power is absolutely matchless, and we'll see that several times this morning, we need to trust and obey. We must obey God more than man. Now let's examine the text and see in verses 12 through 16 that God's power is holy power. It says there in verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. All right, so here's what's going on. All right, just so you understand, there's an incredible paradox that's going to happen between verses 13 and 14. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And you go, say what? Wait, wait, that's a contradiction. No, it's a paradox that God wants you to recognize there. The Holy Spirit is showing us through God's word that the half-hearted and the hypocritical, 
the people who just wanted to borrow religion for their own means, that didn't really want to obey God rather than men, those people scattered, for they knew their own hypocrisy would be revealed, their own half-heartedness would not be enough for this holy and powerful God to dwell with him and dwell with these people. And so they were like, man, let's not even get near these people. And yet, that was exactly what an expansion of the gospel required at that moment, because what the message of the gospel was sending through that, that, that occurrence with Ananias and Sapphira, where holy fear fell upon the church, and they knew that God was such a holy judge, that his power was not just used to perform miracles, to break them out of prison, and to heal lame people, but also to strike down those who willfully disobey him. And purity, the power of purity came to the church, and the church was refined that way. And so it says nobody dared join them, and yet more believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And why? You ask yourself why. Why, why is this paradox there? I'll tell you why it's there. It's because everyone became, became confronted with what kind of God is this and what kind of man, what kind of woman am I? They could see that their sin would be held against them. The holy, the fierce holiness of God was evident, and yet the power of God to save through Jesus was also continuing to be preached through signs and wonders that were confirming the message. And so verse 15 it says, so that they were even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. Here's another expansion of the gospel. Why does it say cots and mats there? Or pallets there, okay? If you're poor and you don't have any money, you just go and get some sticks and you try to get some dried out vine and you form a pallet for someone who is disabled and you drag them on that pallet. But if you can afford a cot, it means you've got money. The, the wealthy and the poor now are coming to seek these signs and wonders and to be associated with this message of the gospel. And so Peter came by, they came by Peter at least his, so that his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now I'm going to move kind of quickly to finish this section, but see that phrase again, none of the rest dared join them. Why? Because the sense of holy fear had fallen upon the people. They knew that such a real, holy, and powerful God would expect more than they were willing to give. James Polhill says it this way, The awesome power of the Spirit that judges also demands commitment and responsibility. And what if people just wanted the show of miracles and wonders without any real commitment. Is that not, in some ways, what the church is chasing after with great futility? What's the next big show for me? I just want to wanna back a winner. I just want to go and see something amazing. I just want to experience something that emotionally stirs me. I just, I just want to be a watcher. Life has just become this spectator sport. We just consume and consume and consume experience. And the gospel calls you to believe. The gospel calls you to commit. The gospel calls you to the pure and holy responsibility to live a life surrendered to powerful God. And so, we see from that section, going into the next section, the compelling and convincing power of the Holy Spirit. These people are going to believe more in what they, what they believe in through the experiences that they have because of the accompanying power of God and his Holy Spirit. Look at section 2, the compelling and convincing power of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, all right? And boy, the high priest rose up. You know, you get this kind of feeling, this, this giant powerful monster of a man is going to rise up, right? You get the sense of, 
Okay, the tension is building. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Remember, in the temple area, it's really the Sadducees that are opposing these apostles. And they're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. Now, let me show you quickly a, a couple of pictures of what would have been public prison in the first century there. All right? It's likely that uh, something similar to these would be imprisonments. Now, public prison versus private prison. And private prison back then just simply meant you couldn't be seen in the open marketplaces or in the thoroughfares of the community. A private prison was either a house arrest or it was below ground where you couldn't be seen. But here, people could see you as they went by. They, they walked down the street and they said, hey, we're going by the prison, so let's see who is in, in chains there. And so often what you would see, um, let me see what we can uh, do here. In the one up here on the right, uh, you can see some holes in the, kind of in the back center below um, the lightest uh, rock there that's at the very top, the vertical top. You see those holes. Well, that was likely where chains were affixed to the rock there so that you would be held out in chains like this and sometimes even your feet would be locked in place. And people would walk by and you would be publicly humiliated. You'd be shamed. You'd be immobile. You would be rendered powerless. Okay? So there are a few pictures of a first century prison. In the New Testament, prison is the Greek word phulake. It, it corresponds with the Hebrew word uh, mishmar, um, and it means public prison. And there's multiple instances in which the word is used in the New Testament. But there's this great con contrast of power that is being set up now. The high priest rises up and all who are with them. And what are they filled with? What does your word say? What are they filled with? They're filled with jealousy. They're filled with holy rage. The word there in the Greek is zelos. It means to have righteous indignation to the point of fury. When I was five years old, a kid down the street, uh, just two doors down, went out and put a lemonade stand right out at the, at the edge of his driveway. And apparently his mom must have called a couple of neighbors because they all came out and he was pouring this lemonade and he was giving it away for 10 cents per Dixie cup. And a few people showed up and of course I was outside and witnessed that and he went, hey, I've got the lemonade and I'm making money and all this. And he had a little table and stuff like that. So I ran into the garage of, 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 of our house and, and I found a little tiny uh, little uh, kind of stool that I could set up some things on and, and got a cardboard box and stuff like that and I ran to the house and we didn't have any lemonade. We didn't have any lemons, we didn't have any lemon powder, we didn't have any country time, we didn't have anything like that. So I, 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 I quickly thought of what else could I bring out there to try to sell, and I found some Cheez-It crackers and peanut butter. So I went out in the 95 degree heat in the middle of the summer, and I started putting together these little tiny peanut butter sandwiches with Cheez-It crackers. And then I put out a sign that said they were only five cents. And after five or 10 minutes, this guy comes walking by and he says, uh, Cheese at crackers and, and peanut butter. He said, uh, he says, man, you might want to maybe put out some Kool-Aid or some iced tea or some, some lemonade or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't think uh, anybody's going to want uh, cheese crackers uh, in this heat. And so he walks on down the street and he stops at the lemonade stand and drops a quarter there on the table. And I was filled with fury. Oh. I wanted to take that pitcher of lemonade and pour it on that kid's head. This is what they're experiencing right now. They're filled with fury. Why? They keep saying don't do it, and they keep doing it. Every time they try to slow the expansion of this religious sect, in their opinion, it expands faster than they can even think of a way to stop it. A pure so, so the, the, the apostles are compelled to continue God's work. And it's uh, MacArthur that says a pure and powerful church will inevitably provoke a hostile reaction from the satanic world system. Luke wants us to see that the enemies of the cross do not rest. Do you understand that? There is global opposition 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that hate God. There are people that don't want you to know the one true God. There are people that are going to hell because they reject God. There is global and satanic opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what are these Sadducees upset about? They're upset about the success of the gospel. They're not just upset about what the gospel is doing. They're upset at the God of that gospel who keeps on doing it. So they use what power they have. They cannot match the ministry. They can't perform the miracles. They can't win people to their religion. So they use the only given authority that they have in their, in their allegiance and alliance with the Romans, and they throw them in prison. All right, but then look down at verses 19 to 21. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now we have seen now multiple powers and forces seeking to restrain them. But this has got to be the most wildly ironic of all. They're in prison that night. One angel, one little old angel comes and sets them all free from chains. That had it been, had it been dependent upon a human system, the guard would have called, had been called by another guard who was told by some region or governor or something like that to release them from their chains, and only one key would have worked. All that, it would have been impossible. One little angel sets them free, but then demands that that they immediately go right back to the temple. Who's right there at the temple? The Sadducees. Go right back to the temple and share all the words of this zoe, of this life that you have in Christ. And so it's a full gospel statement that they are going to give when they go back to the temple. So we recognize that there's angelic rescue. Now deliverance, it's come in many ways thus far. Now it comes from an angel of the Lord. But it looks very personal and quiet, as if this is no big deal. You know, there's the, 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 the ground doesn't shake. The, the, the sun doesn't turn red or dark or anything like that. He just lets them out and puts them right back in the temple. And this has got to infuriate the Sadducees. Listen, listen, when you stop recognizing that God is always delivering you, you lose sight of your mission. And in this moment, can you imagine, can you imagine being a delivered person from chains and being told to go right back to the temple to preach? You know what? Even though that's wildly ironic, even though it's hard to wrap your brain around, they were ready because they'd just been delivered. They had just become acquainted again with the soul-saving, the life-delivering God yet again. When you get delivered by power, you should know that you are empowered. Boldness should follow. They entered the temple at daybreak, and they began to teach. What is that telling us? They immediately obeyed. As soon as there was a hearer, at the 6 o'clock hour, they started teaching. While the command of the angel would have seemed reckless to the viewer that's watching without faith. Hey, go back and get yourselves in more trouble. To the person that's listening and hearing by faith, we see the miracle of unstoppable God yet again. And let me remind you, Christian, where you're praying, where you're hoping, one heart at a time people that are at certain stages or developments with individuals that you hope will come to know Jesus Christ, Listen, listen closely. Listen. God is working in the in-betweens. God is working in the in-betweens. God is working when you feel all jailed up and you feel all helpless and hopeless. God is working. And God's ahead of that. And God's prepared for that. And God has an answer to that. If you'll just obey. So look down at verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all of the senate of the people of Israel, and sent, to, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. They don't, they don't get it. 
It's, it, it can't be understood. In fact, when they, be, when they are questioned again by the Sadducees, they don't even mention that because they don't have an explanation for it. They are powerless to even address a subject of breaking out of jail. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, wondering what uh, uh, this would come to. <laughs> There's a whole lot of humor in the scripture. Wondering what would this come to? You know what it's going to come to? More gospel, more God of the gospel, more salvation, more deliverance, more boldness, more soul-convincing in the apostles and someone came and told them look the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people then the captain with the officers went and brought them but not by the force for they were afraid of being stoned by the temple there's wild irony here the sadducees send for the apostles as if they're the ones in charge and god's the one that's doing all the sending He's sending them exactly where he wants them to go, not only to continue to preach the gospel, but to preach to their insides and convince them through his power and through his deliverance that they can do everything that they have been called to do by God. For those who are willing to surrender to God, God is pleased to accomplish everything that he wills for them to do. And so they're convinced to obey God rather than men. Look down at the last section. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. They're giving a clearer gospel. They're sticking with that. Even though they are accused by Sadducees of accusing them, they hold to that accusation. You killed Jesus. It was my sins that nailed him there. And it was your sins too, religious leaders. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And this seals the deal in studying the book of Acts about obedient witness. No man, no authority has the right to shut down the gospel. No man, no authority will be able to shut down the gospel. I'm going to skip ahead. So, Chad, if you have it, do you have it? Can you give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, that clip? You've got it? So I'm going to set this up as he gets it on the screen because we're out of time and I just really want the Lord to have the time. So, so we're... Let's just talk just for a second. We, we live in a scaredy-cat culture today. We live in an unconvinced, um, unsettled, um, polarized world where satanic threats of lies and misinformation cause us to wonder if we continue to follow Jesus, am I going to lose money? Am I going to lose friends? Am I going to even have fracture in my family talked with a dear family this week and they're trying to hold their family together even as members of their family don't follow jesus and that's hard it's hard isn't it and sometimes we must just get this impression you know we just say these days wow jesus is going to come back soon because it looks like the gospel is getting shut down everywhere don't listen to that lie from hell it's not true ethan walters just told you that and so, even though this world seems to be getting a better grasp on how to try to constrain and, 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 and restrain the gospel from continuing to be, be preached and taught, 42 different countries where it's against the law to try to lead someone to Jesus Christ, 
God is always going to use those who are fully surrendered to him to communicate what he wants them to communicate. He's going to continue to raise up those people as long as they trust and obey. And so it wasn't a big deal for some people, and it really wasn't much of a big deal for me. But on Monday night, there was a championship game between the Clemson Tigers and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So it's no Michigan team involved. So we, none of us have a dog in this hunt. We can look at it with real objectivity. And uh, the head coach for Clemson is Dabo Sweeney. And it just turns out that Clemson won that championship football game and defeated Alabama a second time in, I think, four years for the national championship. And, of course, uh, there were 22 million viewers of that game just uh, in the United States. And then there were more, uh, more people that, you know, went all over YouTube and everywhere. And, and they had interviews and all the players and stuff like that. But I want you to see the interview that took place before the season began. I want you to see five months ago a question that was thrown out at Dabo Sweeney before he ever had this platform of winning the national championship, before he ever hoisted a trophy, before ever a microphone came to his mouth and 25 million people were listening, I want you to see this question that's asked of Dabo Sweeney. above everything else, not just football. Can you speak on to that a little bit more? Because it's impressive that that's where you go when you get asked a question right after hoisting a trophy. So just what you can say to that. About my faith? Yeah. Man, that's, that's the easiest question I've had all day. Uh, well, I mean, to me, that's just the priorities of my life. That's just my, you know, I think that uh, I made a decision when I was 16. I grew up in a family that, you know, uh, I was taught, you know, there was a God and, and all that, but I didn't really have a relationship with Christ until I was 16. And that was a game changer for me. That's really uh, become the foundation of my life. And, and me personally, I don't really, it's hard to survive and thrive in this world if you don't have a spiritual foundation um, and have something that, that you know, you, you can, that can, will give you peace uh, because life is hard. And uh, we're all going to experience death and failure and setbacks and disappointments and cancer. And, you know, you just, it's just, it's a really difficult world. And uh, uh, for me, God is always, in my relationship with Christ, has, he, he's given me hope and peace. And, you know, I love Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans I have for you. Uh, that's that's kind of been a life verse for me. Uh, it says to give you, you know, uh, a hope and a future. There, there are plans for good, not disaster. And so I've always taken that, uh, and I've kind of applied that to my life along my journey. You know, everybody sees me now, and I'm the head coach of Clemson and all this and that, but, you know, I, 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 my life hasn't always been this way. Um, and I've always used that as, to me, if there's really hope in the future, mm -hmm. then there's power in the present to deal with whatever mess you're dealing with in your life. You know, to step through, to hang in there, to persevere, to continue to, to believe in something. Uh, and that's what, that's, what, that's what my relationship uh, with Christ did for me. It, it gave me uh, a hope and a belief, the ability to have a hope and a belief beyond my circumstances. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, I'm, probably the greatest accomplishment that I have had to this point is, is to see my three sons come to know Christ and uh, to, to know him as, as their Lord and Savior. But, you know, those are personal decisions that people have to make. Uh, but it's just how I choose to live my life. I'm, trust me, people that know me know I ain't perfect. Uh, but I do try to live my life in a way that, that uh, hopefully can be pleasing to my maker uh, because I know I'm going to meet him one day. And he's not going to pat me on the back and talk about how many wins I had. Uh, how many Coach of the Year trophies we got, or how much money I made? He's, I really think he's gonna he's gonna hold me accountable to, uh, you know, how I took advantage of the opportunity and the blessings that he gave me, the impact that I had on on young okay, people, thank you, the Chad. type of men that we developed through a game. So I got a question for you, okay? On that day, when he was asked that question, he could have been asked another question. And that question could have been, Coach, do you believe you'll win the national championship? 
And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, he was more convinced that day that Jesus Christ would use him for his purposes and for his glory, that whatever God called him to, he would do through him. He was fully persuaded in his faith in Jesus Christ and his willingness to make that known. He didn't have a clue whether or not he was going to win a national championship, but he did believe that God could use him. And bring up your team and, and we'll, uh, we'll close. I'm skipping that last little bit about the conclusions, but in the conclusions, it says there that this is an all-in gospel. And Pole Hill reminded us in the message that, that it requires commitment and responsibility, a purity of heart before God. John MacArthur says it this way. He goes, you want to be a help to God, be pure. Be pure before God. It calls you to holiness. But this is also an all-in God of this gospel. And let me just read to you uh, Isaiah 46, 8 through 10 where he says to a people that feel abandoned, that feel condemned, judgment has come, they've been routed by the Babylonians, and he says, remember this and stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors. All of you who are seeing the consequences of your sin and you think you're just gonna be stuck right there, he says this, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Do you see the God of the gospel in the story? We've been studying the book of Acts for months. See the God of the gospel. See the God that is convincing your soul and mine more and more. And we are believing more and more in because we're seeing his deliverance. We're seeing his power. We're seeing his fierce holiness. We're seeing all of those things. And our souls are fed with that strength to obey and to trust. Do you see the God of the gospel, the story? And then finally this, the acknowledgement that's there is that they are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. See that last verse, verse 32, it's through God's spirit that God has given to those who believe. Have you come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Sadducees are filled, filled with rage. They're filled with fury. What are you filled with? Would you come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and allow God to walk you through the conversations about your faith he wants to walk you through? Would you open your door, your watch, your refrigerator, your car, your work, your neighborhood to the Holy Spirit making the decisions about how you use all that stuff for his glory? Let's just take a moment. Just take a moment. Will you just let them pause just a little bit, brother, before you sing this last song? Just, just deal. Deal with the truth that God has presented to us today. Invite God's Holy Spirit to work in you and to convince your soul. And then you can respond to God in worship.